Praise God, and thank you so much, and God bless you, and you may be seated. Praise God. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Always good to read His Word and study His Word. Praise God. Good to see all of you here. And I do believe that this amen corner up here with young people is growing. Bigger than it was yesterday. Praise God. I want to uh, talk about something that I think will will be very, very helpful. In fact, I, I will go so far as to say that if you receive the revelation of what I'm talking about today and you follow it, you will be saved. I believe that. I really do. Just going to relate some situations in my own life or one situation that uh, maybe some of you can relate to, maybe some pastors here. It's something that you normally don't like to talk about, but for the sake of, of people who are struggling, it uh, is quite necessary. I don't know just how long ago it was that I found myself losing some of my momentum, and I just, uh, I, I kind of blamed it on, on burnout. You just get burned out, you get tired, you, you, uh, that's what I was blaming it on. I have been in the building trade for years. Uh, three years ago, we built a new building, built it ourselves. At the same time, we were building a new tabernacle at camp, and we were doing that ourselves. So, uh, and we finished them both in the same week. So we just had our hands full. But I was able to go through both of the building programs and not experiencing, and not experience the situation that I went through a few years prior to that. I was just struggling to keep my desire alive. Uh, we have a brother that's written a book on you have to, you've got to have the want to. Uh, my whole problem was that I really didn't have the want to and didn't know how to get the want to. And I guess it just, I, I kind of passed it off by feeling, of course the book wasn't written then, that some people just have it and maybe some don't. There are certain things that you run across in life and you just wonder, why some have it and some don't. Well, at one time I did have it. But I just, I guess I, I was just, like I said, blaming it on, on burnout. I went to the bookstore and picked up a lot of uh, PMA books, positive mental attitude books. I even went to a PMA rally with some of our brethren over in Milwaukee. About 10,000 people gathered there, and we heard Robert Schuler, W. Clement Stone, uh, several of the big names, Zig Ziglar, several of the big names they had. And they were telling us how to be winners and how to overcome. You know, you come back home, you tell yourself a hundred times that you're going to be positive, but you find out that, uh, you know, there's more to it than that. And also, when I, I read the New Testament, I did find that some of the teachings of the PMA men diametrically opposed the teachings of the Scripture. 
Now let me explain. Uh, Robert Shuler has a book entitled, You Can Become the Person You Want to Become. Do you believe that? For the most part, I do. But I'm not for sure that what I want to become is what God wants me to become. See, there is a difference. And so, as I began to look at some of these books, I put them down. I said, uh, I, I just don't, I don't see that, that the, the whole philosophy uh, relates to the philosophy of the Scripture. For the most part, PMA books are full of humanism, teaching you to depend on yourself, teaching you to depend on your own mind. I haven't read too many of them where they're telling you that what you need to do is really get a hold of God and trust God and believe God. In fact, they say that a lot of people that do this are failures in life. Uh, Norman Vincent Peale was at this meeting. I listened to him. He happens to be a Reformed preacher. Uh, I, I enjoyed what he had to say, but I, I would. I just, uh, for some reason, I just didn't feel that that what he had to say was exactly right. If you read in the scripture, you know you will find that Paul is very appealing, and Peel is very appalling. Uh, there's just something not quite right, see, about what the man's saying. Uh, I want what God wants for me. But I just seemed to lose my desire. I lost my interest. The truth of the matter is, you know, I, of course, being a pastor, you're attending church every service you can, even preaching some special services, paying my tithing, praying. And I, I say this, uh, I don't want to say this to be boasting, but to, to just tell you what can happen. I received the Holy Ghost April 15th, 1961. My mother was a praying woman. She taught us to pray, and I prayed many, many times prior to receiving the Holy Ghost. But when I gave my heart to God, I promised the Lord that I'd be faithful in prayer. And I can truthfully say this, other than a couple of times when I was in the hospital and couldn't get out of the bed, I have not retired one time without kneeling and calling on the name of the Lord. So... You know, I, I was praying, but it seems like I was running my life more on discipline than I was on desire. And I might just put a little plug in here for discipline. I believe that discipline is the name of the game in Christianity. It comes from the word disciple. You cannot be a disciple without discipline. It is necessary to discipline yourself to the teachings of an individual. That is what makes you a disciple. But on the other hand, <clears throat> if everything you do, you have to make yourself do, the real joy of serving God is taken away. Well, I began to search the Bible, and I made a statement yesterday morning about reading the Bible and only reading the Bible for a long period of time. It was this situation that brought about that particular discipline in my life. I have always believed in the Scripture. I have always wanted to be a Bible preacher. I changed my total 
method of preaching. I am not against topical messages. Uh, in fact, if I go places and somebody preaches a topical message, I probably enjoy it much more so than I enjoy an expository type message like I preach. All I do is just go from scripture to scripture. But it was during this time that I changed my method of preaching. Uh, first to help myself. It would just it seemed to be the, the thing for me. And then, of course, I began to to uh, teach a lot of home Bible studies and such. So I, I just changed. But uh, since this time, I have learned to depend on the Scripture more than, than ever before. As I began to search the Scripture, knowing that the Scripture obviously had an answer for the situation I was in, I ran across the story that, uh, I say the story, the letter that's written to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. And I'd like for you to just turn there if you would. I'll not even have you to stand today. I just want to talk with you. This is our last teaching session. I just want to share some nuggets from the Word of God that will be helpful to you if you ever run against the same snag that I ran against. Revelation 2, verse 1, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Now, the thing about Ephesus that, that is so striking is that Ephesus apparently was a very doctrinally sound church that hated sin. However, you could be doctrinally sound and hate sin and yet not love Jesus. Obviously. Uh, and that, that was the situation they were in. Uh, when I read this, it was like the Lord just spoke to me and said, this letter is for you. Take a careful look at it. And as I began to take a careful look at this, the thing that, that struck me so hard is that the one simple thing that God was requiring of the church at Ephesus, it seemed to be you know, so basic and so fundamental. They had lost their desire. They had lost their love. They just seemed to operate on discipline. They had all of the mechanics that it takes to make a strong apostolic church. But the, they had left their first love. And all the Lord told them was, go back and repent. Well, <clears throat> that is so simple that it almost seems strange. You mean that's all you have to do to, to uh, cure a problem like I had? Just go repent? Well, the Lord <clears throat> did more than just tell them to repent. He also led them down the road 
toward the consequences of an unrepented life. He said, now if you don't do this, I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now this was identifying with me. Uh, to say I didn't love Jesus, I would not make that statement. I sung about the love of Jesus. I, I, uh, I found it pretty difficult to cry. I found it pretty difficult to, to uh, be moved about some things about the Lord. Preach about Calvary and you go through periods of time in which you know, you're singing a song. She was told to repent. It was like the Lord was telling me, well, really what you need to do to, to cure this situation is just repent. Who, me? Now, were you not repenting? Well, I have tried on a daily basis to ask God to forgive me of my sins. But maybe there's something in repentance that uh, I am missing. Maybe there's an aspect of repentance that uh, I know little or maybe nothing of. And I want to talk about that. You know, I began to make a scriptural search on repentance because I thought I was repenting. I thought I was really laying everything on the line for the Lord. But uh, obviously, uh, I was missing the mark. Now, in my search of the scripture... I have found that there are there are, there were there were some things about giving your heart to God and about repentance that uh, were just kind of in the gray area. I just really didn't understand. Now let me just pose some of those those questions. Let's let's just deal with one of them. Now, when you first came and gave your life to the Lord and you asked God to forgive you of your sins. How many of you found yourself saying at the altar when you were repenting that you would go any place that God wants you to go, you will do anything he wants you to do, you will say anything that he wants you to say? How many of you found yourself doing all that? Well, sure, I did too, but what? pray tell me what does that have to do with repentance? See? Well... Uh, basically, the word repent simply means a regret for any past action, to feel strong against or to be sorry about something, to turn back or away from something. That's basically what the word repentance means. Jesus said in Luke 13.3 and Luke 13.5, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. But uh, the prophet Isaiah had this to say. He's talking about a man that approaches the Lord. He said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now he's talking about the forgiving of sins. But he prefaces that by saying, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. 
that in repentance, obviously, there is a meeting of the minds. That is, God talking to you and you talking to God and reasoning with God. Now, it is in true repentance that we become stewards. It's in true repentance that that you actually give up everything that you that you have. Uh, an example of that: uh, you walk down. I say an example. Let's il- illustrate. A man walks down the altar, bows down before the Lord. He begins to pray. He asks God to forgive him. He said, "I've made a mess of my life, Lord. I surrender everything to you. I give you everything, O oh God." It's not much. In fact, I don't have much. And the Lord says, well, if you don't have much, there's not much required. But I'll take whatever you have. Well, Lord, I, you know, I, I, I don't have much. I just, uh, you know, just, just my wife and, oh, you have a wife. Yeah, you know I have. The Lord says, well, go get the marriage license. Turn your marriage over the Lord. You know, and I wish that Pentecostals on a wholesale basis would learn to do that. And then uh, you say, well, but Lord, without a wife, then uh, uh, what about the kids? Oh, you have kids. Yeah, well, Lord, you know what you know. Well, go get their birth certificates. I'll take those. But but Lord, uh, you know, with the, with without a, uh, you know, a wife and a, my children, I, 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 it's going to be lonely at, at, at the house. Oh, you have a house. Well, you know, Lord, I, I got this house. Well, go get the, the deed or the title to the house. But, 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 Lord, I mean, without, where am I going to keep my furniture? Oh, you got a furniture. Go get the bill of sale. Well, what about, what about my, my clothes and everything? Oh, you have a wardrobe. I'll take that also. But, but Lord, I meant to, uh, my, uh, I wouldn't even have a place to park my car. Oh, you have a car? I'll take the title. And so you bring the title. But Lord, you know that we were going on vacation next week, and without a car I can't pull my boat and motor. Oh, you have a boat and motor. Yeah. We'll go get the title to that. You say, but Lord, there's nothing left but a job and, you know, that little paycheck. Oh, you get a paycheck. We'll bring that to me every week. But Lord, if I do that, I can't live long on my savings. Oh, you have savings. Go get the savings book. Now, see, this is how we become stewards. And we do all that at the altar of repentance through the reasoning that we have with the Lord. Now that sheds light on certain things that Jesus said, such as he tells the rich young ruler who thought he had his act together. He didn't commit adultery, he didn't do this and he didn't do that and he didn't do this and he didn't do that. He said, all these things have I done from my youth up, lived a pretty clean life. Jesus said, well, one thing thou lackest. You haven't yet given up everything. See? Take all that you have and give it to the poor. 
You see, when, when, when you fully surrender at an altar, you give everything to God, then he can dictate what he wants you to do with it. So I live in the finest home I've ever lived in, but it's not my home. It's his. See? I drive the nicest automobile I've ever driven, but it's not mine. It's his. See? Everything is his. Now, we can be like the prodigal of Luke 15 who went to his father and said, This seems to be unfair. Give me the portion of goods that belongeth to me. And did you know you can go back and you can take it back any time you want it? We think of a prodigal as an individual that leaves the house of God and goes out into the world and spends this money on riotous living as we, you know, partying and such. But spending your money on riotous living is managing your affairs separate and apart from the kingdom of God and without divine assistance. Pentecost has a lot of prodigals because they've gone back in and seized those things that rightfully belong to God. This is the reason why that there's so many needs in the church that cannot be met. Cannot be met. Let me propose to you one statement. If stewardship is practiced properly, there will never be a need in your personal life, and there will never be a need in the church that you pastor or attend that cannot and will not be met if it's practiced properly. So we have a lot of prodigals. The prodigal had to come to himself. And when he came to himself, he went back to the father. And what did he do? He submitted himself. He humbled himself. He asked to be remade. Could it be that repentance is more than saying, God, forgive me of my sins? Could it be more than saying, God, I have smoked a cigarette, or I've had a bad thought, or I've done this or that and the other? Could it be more than that? Obviously. The truth of the matter, when you search the scripture, I talked to you about humility in my first message. In, in essence, you cannot separate repentance from humility and submission. You can't separate them. See? And when, when we live separate and apart from the principles of God, pride takes over. Isn't that right? This was the problem with Simon the sorcerer back in Acts the 8th chapter. He had a proud spirit. There are no humble devils, you know. Seriously. There are no submissive devils. And when that gets a hold of us, we are not submissive to our Lord or to our Savior. Now, laying this foundation to get you to thinking, obviously then, 
Repentance is more than just a negative encounter with God in which you just give up a whole lot of things. It obviously has a positive effect upon you as much as a negative effect. So I want to talk about both the positive and the negative. Now, to further lay the foundation, however, let's just take a look at two men. Here's a man that's been coming to the altar 12 years seeking for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We don't have many people like that, but we have a few. In years gone by, we had more than what we have now. Here's a man that pays his tithes. He's been coming to church. He was baptized 12 years ago when he first repented. When I was a child, I heard people make the statement, he's living a repented life. He comes and prays every time, you know, the preacher gives an altar call. You have everybody to stand. He just automatically steps out and comes down to the front. He's ready to pray. He doesn't do much. It's hard to get stirred. Sometimes you'd like to get a hold of him, maybe step on his finger and get a tear or something. But you just can't hardly get a tear, but you can't touch his life because he seems to be just so polished and so perfect with all of his actions. All of a sudden, while when he steps out, here's a young man that attended church, heard the preacher preach the first time, never been in an apostolic church. He steps out. He passes this man on the way to the altar. He slides him into the altar like a runner sliding into second base. He doesn't know anything about holding his tithe, paying, drinking, smoking, adultery, nothing like that. He just lumps all of his sins together and he said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. He begins to weep and cry and pray and the saints gather around him and before they can give him any instruction, before they can talk to him about giving up any vices or anything, he's filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now let me ask you, has he repented? Later on he finds out, oh, I shouldn't be living with that girlfriend. I've had some of that to happen, you know. Later on he finds out, well, I shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. See, repentance is not spiritual perfection. It is the submission of oneself to God, whatever that is. Obviously, this man does not have an awareness of what it is. He realizes he's a sinner, and he just asks God to forgive him of all of his sins. He kind of lumps them all together. But he had a hunger, and he had a desire. And you're talking to this man, you say, obviously there's something that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing. And you quiz him and question him and you say, you know, the Bible says, he that hungereth and thirsteth after righteousness shall be filled. So you just need a hunger. Well, that man just can't go out and all day while he's working say, God, give me a hunger. God, give me a hunger. God, give me a hunger. That's like praying for a burden. A lot of people pray for a burden. You may say, well, how do you get a burden, Brother Grant? Well, we're going to talk about that in a few moments. But for the most part, let's say that, that you teach a, a Sunday school class. You want a burden for the kids. You pray for a burden. 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 No burden comes. All of a sudden, <clears throat> enacted in your Sunday school class 
is a visitation program where you go out and visit in the homes and meet the parents and such. And so you go in the homes of quite a few unsaved uh, folks, rub shoulders with them, see the lifestyle and such of those people. And when you begin to rub shoulders with them and such, you find that that burden really comes. It seems to be quite automatic. Why? Because, you see, you have associated yourself with the problem or with the situation. Now, let's go back to uh, this business about repentance. In Luke, the third chapter, verse 8, John the Baptist required of all of the Pharisees who were very stooped in their own traditions, he said that they should bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, if you want me to baptize you for the remission of sins, and he baptized them for unto repentance. If you want to, me to baptize you unto repentance, then I would like to see the fruits of your repentance. So obviously, repentance, just like the Holy Ghost, you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and we've gone over that so many times you're probably tired of me saying it, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and John the Baptist says, well, don't just come up here and tell me you've repented. Let's see some fruit of repentance. In my search of the scripture, I think that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. So if you'll turn there, 2 Corinthians 7. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse uh, 10, I'd like, to, I'd like to read this and just talk from, from this for a little while. The Bible says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now we commonly feel that tears are fruits of repentance. Well, I would not disagree with that. In every case, I think that sometimes tears are very poor example of repentance or evidence of repentance. I think if you were to look in Hebrews 12, verse 14, 15, 16, and 17, I'm going to talk about forgiveness tonight, the Lord being my helper. Notice what happens. The Bible says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now I'm going to explain that tonight. But here's a man that sought it carefully with tears. And yet, did not repent. So, you can feel sorry about something, and yet not repent. So, Paul left the, the godly sorrow 
out of the order of the fruits of repentance. Now we want to just go through these with you. Verse 11, he said, For behold this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. In other words, when you come to God in submission, in humility, in repentance, there is a carefulness that begins to get a hold of you. How many new converts have you seen come to the altar and pray? They didn't know what sin was. Nobody ever explained to them, but they asked their share of questions the following week. Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And the the person that, that says he's fully repented, that gets up and walks out the door, and he gives very little thought to his life, he has not fully repented. I know myself, when I came to God, I was, I was extremely conscientious. Boy, just, I wanted to make sure that everything I said, everything I did was pleasing to the Lord. You wanted to walk very carefully and softly before God. You know, Paul, in talking about this, he, he addresses this in the book of Romans when he talks to the Jews about meats and about days and such. He said, now some of you people won't eat certain meats because you're not convinced that it's okay to eat it. Now he said, to you that are not convinced, he said, uh, if you can't eat by faith, he said, don't eat it at all because if you do anything that you're in doubt of, to you it's sin. Basically what he's saying is this. If you're not convinced, whether it be sin or not, once you partake of it, God chalks it up as sin. Now why would God do that? Because the attitude that you have is this. I am proving to my God that I am willing to jeopardize my relationship by doing that which I am not fully convinced is okay. A dirty, rotten attitude. God says, now if you have that kind of an attitude that you go ahead and do it, and jeopardize your relationship, I'm going to count it as sin, whether it's sin or not. God is a very reasonable God. He said if you judge a man, and even if you judge a man more harshly than what the scripture would, he said that's a judgment I'm going to judge you by. Because you're convinced that that's the standard that he ought to be living by. And whether that's the standard he ought to be living by or not, I'm going to require that same standard of you. Isn't God reasonable? Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. So, one of the first fruits of repentance is that it brings about a carefulness in you. You become conscientious of what you need to do and and what you should do. And this business of, well, I don't know if anybody will notice or anybody will care or what about this or who cares or whatever. No, that, that, won't get, get, that won't cut mustard with God. Now, the second thing that he talks about, he says, what clearing of yourselves? Now, we're on the negative aspect of it. What clearing of yourself? 
Naturally, when you ask God to forgive you and the sin of your life is, is crucified and, or mortified, uh, you just feel so refreshed and so clear and naturally you do. Now, I have a, a calculator on my watch. My son bought me this watch several years ago. It's an old standby. It's the only alarm clock I have. This thing wakes me up every morning. Can you hear that? There's only been two times in, I'd say, ten years that this has failed to wake me up. I used to uh, figure my checkbook going down the road <laughs> with this watch, especially at uh, stops, stop lights. Uh, you don't have to worry about going because the person behind you always lets you know when the light turns. Came with a little stylus, but my fingers are short and stubby, but I can work this thing. I've had people say, Brother Grant, you can't work that. Oh, yes, I can. Look at this. Seven plus seven is what? Fourteen, isn't that right? Can you believe that's the answer I got? I'll tell you one problem I have. My glasses are going bad. This is the third set of glasses I've had in three years, and they're just going bad. They don't make glasses like they used to. (laughs) I have a hard time reading my Bible. I struggle with it. I just keep putting off going in and getting my eyes checked. All right. Seven plus seven is 14. Okay. Now, let's go something real simple. Two plus two is what? Come on. Who's so dumb it said five? Boy, you need to go to school. Look at him. He even looks dumb, doesn't he? <laughs> he didn't know I was going to say that. <laughs> now, you girls, don't pay this guy any attention. He's too dumb for you, okay? <laughs> well, you know what my calculator says? My calculator does not say four. <laughs> doesn't say five either. My calculator says 18. Now, did the calculator make a mistake? No, the problem was that that whenever I added the first two figures and I started to add the second two figures, I didn't clear it. Now, what I'm trying to, to, to prove to you today, in true repentance, you clear yourself. And the reason why that on a daily basis we end up with wrong answers quite often is because there is not that daily clearing of the calculator or our heart. Too many things have its toll on us. Too many pressures. All of a sudden they they come out. And we don't act like Christ and we don't give the right answers because we haven't cleared ourselves. Let me propose something to you today. Jesus Christ prayed every day. And taught us to pray. The Lord's Prayer, he said, forgive us of our trespasses. Now, this might surprise you for me to say this. Do you know the reason why Jesus Christ prayed every day? He prayed because he had to pray. Now, chew on that for a moment. 
Now we say, well, he prayed to be an example for us. Well, in view of him having to pray, it serves as an example to us that we need to pray. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, prayed every day because Jesus Christ needed to pray. And the prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, was a true prayer of submission, a true prayer of humility, a true prayer of repentance, where he recommitted himself, his mind, his body, his soul, his everything in the hands of God. He retired later than many of them and arose before others and prayed and carefully sought God because he needed to seek God because he was more than just God. He was also a man. Now in view of the fact that he prayed, it does serve as an example for us. Turn with me in your Bibles to to John the 14th chapter and let's read verse 30. I want you to take a careful look at what he's saying here. John 14, 30, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Now notice what he says, The prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Basically, this coincides with the scriptures written by the other apostles or by the apostles. A man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. And what Jesus was saying is, I cleared myself and keep myself clear. And when the prince of this world came and he opened up my heart and when he looked inside, there was absolutely nothing in my heart that was associated with his kingdom or the things of this world. And so Satan could not touch him at that time because there was nothing in his heart associated with the prince of the world. He was clear. He was clean. If you think that you can get up and start your day and run your day without getting bogged down with the cares of this life, without going into all kinds of temptations and such, when you have not cleared yourself, you're making a drastic mistake. If Jesus Christ, God, robed in flesh, saw the necessity of it, how much more should we, a fallen nature, the son of Adam, understand the importance of clearing ourselves? We've got to clear ourselves, Brother Thorne. We've got to do that. Every day and every hour, we need to clear ourselves. Now, We're beginning to turn from what we would call the negative, that is, giving up, to taking on. And uh, you notice what he says, yea, what indignation. Now, most of you know what indignation is. Indignation is righteous anger. Uh, Basically, what the Scripture is saying, that you take on... Not only a carefulness and a clearing, but after you've been cleared, you take on a hate for iniquity or for sin. 
Now, this is the reason why, then, that uh, you can keep your heart pure and clean is because when you, when you approach sin or sin approaches you, that it is detestable. You don't like it. You don't want it. Uh, this reminds me of a story. When I pastored in La Crosse, Wisconsin, it was during the time which a lot of coffee houses, the Jesus freaks and such, you remember that? Uh, out of that came a coffee house where they were practicing witchcraft. The kids just backslid from their their Jesus stuff and and uh, I would I had to spend all Saturday night praying at the church an all night prayer meeting. Just something that I felt I need to do. And when I left the church and went around the corner, I saw somebody go into this coffee house. And just like the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to go in there. I stopped my car and went inside. Nobody upstairs. They sold all kinds of incense and, and macrame hangers and things like that, you know. Uh, beads, strings of beads and things down to the, you know, floor. And uh, They had it all painted up. It looked like somebody stepped in a bucket of paint and walked across the floor. Had footprints, you know. Um <clears throat> I let myself, or I, I tried to let, if there's anybody around, let them know I'm here. Oh, anybody here? I heard someone in the basement stirring around. Finally, they said, I'm down here. So I went downstairs, and I, I found a big fish net over the ceiling and uh, a bunch of uh, different things. And uh, they also had uh, looked like some pot, marijuana pot pipes put water in and uh, <clears throat> I uh, I would not have gone in the place except that I knew the Lord talked to me about going there well there was a, a man there uh, an older gentleman and then there was a younger girl there and in the middle of the floor they had a looked like they'd been playing some kind of a game there was a a triangle, and then there was a small triangle in the middle, and then they had built a pyramid in the middle. So I said, what is this all about? So the girl says, well, <clears throat> this is a, a place where we, we worship. And uh, I said, uh, do you worship Jesus? Oh, no. No. I said, well, who do you worship? Well, I said, you worship Satan? I said, well, we, we don't uh, call it Satan. People would call it cult worship. So what do you do? Well, by the time I started talking to her, all of a sudden different young people began to gather around. They came from outside and down the stairs. And she, she said, well, I'll show you what we do. They took two coat hangers that they had made them out of coat hangers, and they had a 90-degree turn. They put them in their hand, and they walk across this pyramid. And if you're in tune with the spirit world, those uh, coat hangers just turn like this. I saw young person after young person walk across that. Boy, I felt the Holy Ghost spring upon me. I went over there and said, let me have those. I said, those won't turn when I walk here. Oh, yeah, we've never had anybody yet. That I said, they won't when I walk across. 
I walked across and they stayed just straight. I walked across and stayed straight. The girl came over and said, "You're. let me show you how to hold them. And she positioned my hands just right. And I guess she thought I had a lot of strength or something. Maybe I could keep them from doing it. I walked across. They didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, I looked, and there was a girl sitting flat on the floor. And, and she just, I could see that there were tears in her eyes. And so the Lord spoke to me, and I said, uh, uh, Do you believe in all of this? And she said, Yes, I do. And I know the Lord just quickened me, and I said, You are lying to me. You don't believe in this. I said, What is your name? She said, Colleen. And I said, Colleen, tell the people why you not believe in this. She began to just sob. She said, well, she said, I did believe in it. And I've never, never been to church much in my life. So I don't know much about this Jesus worship you're talking about. But she said, my grandmother is dying of cancer. And I love my grandmother and I love her dearly. And she said, you know what I did? I went out and bought a New Testament. And I've been reading it. And I've been praying. And she said, Pastor, would you pray for my grandmother that God would heal her? And one of the men stepped up and said, but, but Colleen, what about... Our pact, our covenant. She stood up and she said, I hate this place. I hate everything we're doing. And she said, I'm ready to get out of this place. I can't stand it. I had to make myself come here today. Now what gave Colleen a hate? An anger. For occult worship. Just a few simple prayers at a bedside. The reading of the scripture. The submitting of herself to God. That's what gave her that. I'm happy to say that I was able to testify to those young people and tell those young people. The reason why that the pyramid has no effect on me, I spent all night in a prayer meeting. And did you know what we did? We all joined hands and prayed for Colleen's grandmother. Would you believe within the next week or so, all those young people were in our church. I'd literally taught them how to worship God. Take your hands and clap your hands. We were in the process of moving to Madison. We'd already resigned the church. In fact, I preached my farewell sermon there. And there was a young man that was associated with this group. He said, can I say something? And he stood up before the people and he wept. And he said, you know, I don't know anything about Jesus. But he says, if I ever see the light, 
He said, I owe it all to Pastor Grant for being so bold with what he believes. We've torn up our pyramid. Now we're calling on Jesus. Hallelujah. An indignation, righteous anger, a hate for that which is wrong. Reference was made by Brother Hodges yesterday about the fear of the Lord. If you notice what Paul goes on to say, he says, Yea, what fear? In the Old Testament, there was a prophet that came from Israel that taught them how to fear the Lord. We have basically a fearless society, a shockless society. We've heard so much about Jesus and such. And people do not fear God anymore. We need to lead our children in a relationship with God that will bring about fear. Now, I'm not talking about just being scared to death of the Lord, but proper respect, revering the house of God. And the more we tolerate in the area of of just kids chewing gum and things like that in the church, looking way across, nobody's going to chew gum, are you? Last time I did this, I saw a boy swallow his gum. I asked him later, I said, did you swallow it? Yes, I did. But, but really, we just nonchalantly loaf in, sit down, don't care how we look, nothing. Paul is saying, when you go into the presence of God, you begin to give careful consideration to His holiness. And you do it with reverence and with respect. With fear. Now notice what he does. He swings all the way to the positive. He said, what vehement desire. You cannot give up without taking on. Now please understand, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I'll make very little reference to the baptism of the Holy Ghost today. I do believe that we receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon us. And I'm not minimizing it. It just so happens I'm not teaching on it today. But somehow we feel that, that when we're baptized with the Holy Ghost, this is when we get our hunger, this is when we get our desire, and the truth of the matter is you have to have that desire in order to get it. You know, there's, there's some sad memories connected with this word, and the reason why is because my wife and I were teaching a home Bible study to a very precious lady, a young lady. And when we got to her home one day, she informed us that she was not going to take the Bible study, and she said, sit down, I want to talk with you. And, you know, she just she said, I love you folks so much, but she said the problem is, she said, I, I want to be saved, but I don't desire to be saved. Now, if you can understand that, she said. In other words, something tells me I need to be, but on the other hand, I, I really need a hunger to be saved, a desire. I don't have a desire. 
says, I'm living with a boy, uh, a young man, and uh, had she had a couple of kids, and she said, I, I just don't have a desire to be saved, and uh, I don't know what to do to get it. My wife and I walked out after visiting with her for a while. We shrugged our shoulders, and we said, well, you've got to have the want to, but how do you get the want to? Where does it come from? Paul says it comes from repentance. Just through simple submission. Humbling yourself to God. That's how you get it. Now, the reason why I say that sad memories come to my mind when I think of this. A few weeks later, this young lady was killed in an automobile accident and she did not find peace with God I wish I could go back today to that setting and I wish I could open the scripture and say here's how you get desire and if somehow your first love has left you if somehow the desire of your heart has diminished You need to resubmit. You need to repent. God would not have gone to a doctrinally strong church like Ephesus that you couldn't touch their lives. He could not have gone to them and required them to repent if they had not have needed to repent. But they were running their life and their church on discipline. Consequently, when you do that, when people come into your assembly, they don't feel what they need to feel. And you don't feel what you need to feel. And while I do believe that discipline is the name of the game in Christianity to a degree, oh, my brothers and sisters, how much easier it is when you get down on your knees and you start to pray and there's something pushing, popping those prayers out of you. How much easier it is when you get a hold of God and and you realize I've I've got only five more minutes to pray and I've got to get up. And when you get up, you can't stop praying. Somebody asked me, he said, how long should I pray in the morning, Brother Grant, before I go to work? It's very simple. You need to pray until you cannot stop communicating with God. This is the secret to praying without ceasing. You pray until you can not stop. So when you get up and go on your job, you're still praying, communicating with God. What happens? We lose our prayer language. We don't know anything to say. Five, ten, fifteen minutes, we said, oh my, what in the world am I going to... Now I'm just going to propose something to you. You know... We talk about the lost art of the church, prayer. And so we have 6 o'clock prayer meetings in a lot of churches. Throughout the nation, churches are closing their morning prayer meetings down. People won't come. They don't desire to come. Uh, Could it be that the reason why we don't desire to come is because maybe we do look at prayer as an art. What is an art anyway? Can somebody tell me what an art is? An art is something that is 
comes to you naturally. It's a talent. It's ability. Read 1 Corinthians 14 about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts. Now the word gift there comes from a different word than you find in Acts 8 when Peter talks about the gift of the Holy Ghost that's given without charge. There it means present. But in 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks of gifts, it's not presence. It's not a present. It's ability. The Spirit gives you supernatural ability to speak. The Spirit gives you supernatural ability to prophesy. The Spirit gives you supernatural ability to lay hands. So the word there, gift, it means talent or special endowment. Brother and Sister Legal's daughters that play the instruments, and I think his son plays the drums, that's right. These people are gifted. I say they're gifted. It's an art to them. But can I propose something? Prayer never has been an art since the Garden of Eden. And it'll never come natural. If anything, it's more of a science than an art. But once you get in the presence of God and you develop a prayer language, a vocabulary, and you begin to pray, and after a while you just love it, and you can't stop. If you're watching the watch, and I guess that's why it's called a watch, if you're watching the watch and you say, Man, I, I've got ten more minutes and I don't know what I'm going to say. I can assure you that when you get up and you walk out, you will be a miserable spiritual failure that day. Because you can't live in the Spirit if you can't communicate with God. But if you can get up and walk out and say, It's time to go to work, but I can't quit praying. And that desire is inside of you, red hot. It's burning inside of you. Oh, hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord. Thank you, God. Oh, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Now another fruit of repentance is zeal. Yea, what zeal? You know, this is something that is puzzling to a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of people that do not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost that when it comes to desire and zeal will put us to shame. Really. And you may say, well, are you saying that you believe that all of those people that put us to shame, that they are fully repenting? No, I didn't say they were fully repenting. I think you can partially repent. I think that's the problem with the man that I explained that's had the Holy Ghost for 12 years. Or haven't, hasn't received it, brother. Been praying for it. I don't think the man has repented. 
I think we've told him he's living a repented life. He hasn't been living a repented life. That's the reason why he can't cry. That's the reason why he's not moved. He's depending on salvation of works. He's not submissive to God. See? We can become just good enough to send our souls to hell, but never good enough to save ourselves. See? And so, there are a lot of people void of the Holy Ghost. Some of them do not know anything about the Holy Ghost that will put us to shame. But 90% of their prayers deal with repentance. My brother-in-law, I think I have a strong Pentecostal audience here. My brother-in-law, my sister married a Baptist minister. And uh, she wasn't saved. And Boy, he used to come to our family reunion. You talk about praying these long prayers. We'd eat, you know. I told my mom, I said, don't ask Jimmy to pray. He just sits up there and repents. Forgive us, Lord, of our many sins. Oh, God, you know that we're all sinners. We can do nothing to save ourselves. I was hungry. Just (laughs) pray for this food and let's jump in. I remember my mother really getting a hold of me. One time he prayed and, and I couldn't help it. I was... I said, oh my, if I knew you had to repent, I'd have prayed myself. My mother got a hold of me. She said, I don't make fun of him. Well, I'm glad to say that he's is, he is now an apostolic <laughs> minister. I came to the church and had a lot to do with him coming into the church. He's one of our, one of our preachers, a member of the Wisconsin district. But... Uh, some people depend on that kind of a relationship with God. Now, that is not all you need. But the truth of the matter is, you can have all kinds of Holy Ghost and talking tongues and everything, and yet not have a lick of zeal to do anything for God. You walk out this door and somebody says, can you hand out these handbills for our revival? Well, it's like this, you know. And you got to thousand one excuses why you don't have to do it or you can't do it. Run out of energy. I found this out, my friend. Listen to me carefully. Anything that you're extremely interested in, the body will produce the energy to achieve it. I've had many, many hobbies, and I'm a good one. I like, I like artwork and things like this, and I get involved in little crafts and things like this. And you know what I can do? I can get so interested in one of those things, I can stay up all night long. Get up the next day, just bright and early, go over to church, and, and look forward to doing that again the next night. My wife said, how in the world can you do that? I said, well, she likes to read. She reads book after book after book. She's read several books since we've been here. I said, "Hun, put the book down and go to sleep. She said, well, just one more chapter. After a while, I looked, and there's this much of the book gone. I said, that chapter's not that thick. She said, I'll make it tomorrow. Isn't that something? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The body produces enough energy to meet the need if the interest is there. See? And then the last thing he talks about, and look at this. He says, what revenge? Revenge? 
Oh, yeah. You, you know, he talked about indignation. Indignation, righteous anger. He says, isn't it only logical now that a, that a man that's, that is fully repented, that he'd like to get even with the devil? Isn't that part of living for God? Let me just ask you a question here. How many of you can truthfully raise your hand and say, I'm tired of the devil chasing me? Raise your hand. Come on. How many of you young people? Okay. I'm going to tell you how to cure that. You've got to take this mic off. Now, this is so simple, but you won't ever forget it. I was walking out across the parking lot of the church. A little girl came up to me out of breath. Her name was Michelle. She said, Brother Grant, she's hanging on to my coat. She's a first grader. She said, Tony and Jason, every time I come out here, they chase me. She said, could you stop them from chasing me? I said, where are they? She said, they're over there hiding behind the shrubs. I looked over there. I could see four little beady eyes piercing. <laughs> I said, well, you just walk around with me. They won't know that I'm giving you a secret. I said, you know, Michelle, here's what you do. When, when they come at you, and I began to tell her what to do. So I said, now, you do exactly what I told you to do. And so I headed toward my car and kind of cutting my eye back a little bit. And they waited until I almost got to the car. And uh, I saw them run out of the shrubs toward Michelle. And, oh, boy, they were cranked up. They were ripping across the parking lot. Had their hands all up. Well, they weren't paying me any attention then, so I turned and looked. They ran up behind her, just like always, you know, and raised their hand. Ah! She didn't do anything. She just kept walking. Well, they backed off. They'd forgotten all about me now. I was, so I was going to watch the show for a little bit. <clears throat> so they looked at each other and uh, decided they'd do it again. So they waited until she was about 20 yards away and here they went tearing out across the parking lot again. <laughs> you are dumb, you know it? <laughs> You're a great guy, really. <laughs> you know what Michelle did? Nothing. She never lost her composure. She just kept on walking. They backed off and they looked at each other. They talked a little bit. They shrugged their shoulders. Walked back into the building. Well, <clears throat> here's how simple it is. You want the devil to stop chasing you? Stop running. Isn't it that simple? Don't be afraid of him. What we need 
instead of young people being chased around by the devil all day, we need young people that have communicated with God that are red hot and on fire that's willing to chase the devil. We need devil chasing saints. People that can put him on the run. People who fearlessly stand in his presence and defy him. That go hard against the gates of hell for the salvation of lost mankind. That's what we need. What revenge. So, you know, something that the devil has been responsible for. He's robbed you of some great victory or whatever. You can get even. You get even every time you win a victory through Jesus Christ. Genuine humility and submission just cannot be separated from repentance. I want to close by having you turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. Jesus talked about the seed. Some seed fell by the wayside. The Bible says that some fell upon stony places. And then some fell among the thorns. Verse 7, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. You want to be good ground? You know, nature has a way of protecting the earth. Oh. We, we have a large campground and big concern we have up there is our caretaker. Every time there's a little bald spot in the ground, he wants to go out and buy a lot of seed and put on it. He says, I don't care what grows on it as long as something grows. I said, you know, Brother Showalter, the truth of the matter is God has a way of protecting the earth. There, if, if, you want, if, you, if you took all of downtown Waterloo and ripped it up, it looks like somebody's trying to do that. But, <laughs> but if you just totally ripped it up and took all the buildings and everything out and did nothing to it, you come back three or four years later and it's green all over. That's nature's way of covering up the soil. It'll have weeds and grass and everything on it, briars and thorns and everything. Well, incorporated in the curse of the planet Earth comes forth thorns and thistles. Would you believe that spiritually speaking, you will have thorns and thistles and undergrowth in your heart if you don't keep it chopped and cut down? You don't have to do a thing. It just comes up. It's there. And you can turn the thorny ground into good ground just by repenting, cutting it all out, clearing, clearing the ground. Now Jesus explained this parable in verse 22. He said, He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word, and he became unfruitful. Let me just talk to you just a moment about the first part of this. Most of us don't have to worry too much about deceitfulness of riches. Like one man said, 
The love of money is the root of all evil, especially when you ain't got none. But the cares of this world. Somebody came up to me and asked me, said, Brother Grant, could you properly define this phrase, the care of this world? Well, it's very simple. The care of this world really means the things that you care for and should care for, but somehow you care too much. You're caring too much for the things you should care for. A good steward, if God gives you a new pair of tennis, what are you going to do? You're going to keep them clean and neat. One of the signs of the last days, men should be unthankful. If he gives you a new car, what are you going to do? You're going to keep it maintained well, oil change and such. Like I say, the sign of the last days, men should be unthankful. And everything that you're grateful for and thankful for, you care for. But the problem with the thorny ground is this, that if you don't keep things under control, you begin to care too much and you get burdened down with the cares of this life. Most burnout among Christians, and it may be a burnout because you get physically tired, but most burnout is really classified in the scripture as <coughs> choke out. That's what it is. And you have to reevaluate your life and reestablish priorities to keep that from happening. Don't get choked out. Go back and do your first works and repent. lost your first love. Praise God. You want to stand with me? Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord. Oh, thank you.